Are you strolling around minding your own business? Well, you have come across Over Underrated, a music podcast with Fran and Babs. Welcome. And if you're wondering why I am being so aggressive in this introduction, it's because I am delighted to be picking The Stranglers today as my underrated act, the band that I've wanted to talk about for a long time. We're going to be talking about The Ramones as the overrated pick today because we've loosely themed this the 70s punk episode and i hope you enjoy learn and come back on the other side for some more action oh hang on yeah what are we calling this podcast <laughs> was it over underrated over underrated sous évalué il va chats over underrated Welcome to the latest episode of Over Underrated with Fran and Babs. How are you doing today, Fran? And what have you been listening to? You can't see me, guys, but I have a full moustache on my face because it's Movember. I have no idea if that's a UK thing. Was that across the world, Babs? Um, I think it's an Anglophone world thing, right? Because I think they're similar in Australia, uh, mm. at least. But, uh, but yeah, do you want to explain what Movember is for our international listeners? It means that you have to grow a moustache to show support and raise money for men's mental health and prostate cancer. And I am doing this. My moustache is bushy. People have compared me to Freddie Mercury and Live Aid and also a gay porn star. So <laughs> enjoy those. I mean, <laughs> two of one, half a dozen of the other, in all honesty. Uh, I told Fran that he looked like a 30s uh, fighter pilot um and he said that was one of the better compliments that he received so happy to be here to boost your ego for him um regarding what i've been listening to i have begun the mission that is the 2021 best of playlist mm. so i have been listening to a lot of this year's music and um i will say that i am enjoying um the bleachers song with bruce springsteen Oh, Bruce Springsteen comes back once again. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take him up. So um, the guy from The Bleachers is the guy who like, writes most of like Taylor Swift and Lord songs. It's Jack Antonoff, isn't it? That's the ticket, that's the ticket. Yeah. Although randomly he has no success, I think, in the UK with mm. his band. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's my my earworm of the week habit mm-hmm. itself. Um, so I have just listened to Placebo's latest song. They, they're going to have a, a new album coming out. Um, and they released a song called Beautiful James that I wasn't such a mm. fan of. But the new one, Surrounded by Spies, is great. And a lot of people have been comparing it to Sleeping with Ghosts here at Placebo because it's a bit more electronic. And I'm a big fan of that. So that was today. But actually, I've been quite obsessively listening to the Australian band DZ or DZ Death Race. Um, which I've known about for ages, but I've never, I've never gone beyond, you know, exploring, let's say, singles. Um, but I just got really, really obsessed with them in the last few weeks for some reason, um, to the point where I've been buying records and, and ordering CDs and stuff. And I think Gina Works at Hearts and Black Rat from their album, Black Rat, is really worth listening to. I remember the name um, back in the mm-hmm. day. I can't remember the songs. Um, regarding Placebo... <laughs> I also mm-hmm. agree with you. And last time I saw Placebo live, it was horrendous because he had a throat infection and couldn't sing. And they didn't cancel the concert. Uh. He does basically he sang in a monotone the entire time. And I kept Ooh. thinking, 
why didn't you cancel this? This is horrendous. Mm-hmm. So he owes mm-hmm. me a decent concert. So I will be. You hear that, Brian? <laughs> he owes me, Brian. <laughs> Um, but we're going a bit further in the past for this week's episode, which is it 70s brackets punk rockers, the theme or yeah. 70s rock? I don't know. <laughs> well, it's two bands who, you know, unlike a lot of the punk bands, didn't disintegrate by 1980. Mm-hmm. And Indeed, and involved. So today we are discussing Ramones as overrated and the Stranglers as underrated. Mm. Mm. So let's start with our overrated pick. So Fran has taken on the mantle of uh, Ramones take a downer. What What's your view on Ramones and how did you put your playlist together? Well, you know, people always bark on about the Ramones being, you know, the godfather of punk alongside mm-hmm. the Stooges. And uh, I just kind of think, well, they're a sort of band that people don't seem to ever criticise. But when mm-hmm. you actually look at their 20 years of music, are they actually <laughs> any good apart from their debut album? And I thought, like, I hadn't actually really listened to most of that stuff. Like, I knew like, you know, the big hitters. So I thought, I don't actually know many 80s, 90s Ramones. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, declare they're overrated before I even investigate and then we can discuss if they are or not because I think they're a band that you know people know the, the t-shirt more than the music yeah and they're doing some research and it turns out they have sold more t-shirts and records which is never a good sign doesn't band. surprise me yeah <laughs> I think alongside like Nirvana and Guns N' Roses they are like the high street rock and roll t-shirt which the mm-hmm. teen, which teenagers buy and may not be able to name many songs. I think Ramones probably more than like Guns N' Roses and Nirvana. I think they are like, the, hey, this is a cool T-shirt, but I don't ever want to listen to the music. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. So I I came in knowing very little about Ramones. If like if you I had to do word association, it would be okay. Yeah, punk pioneers, New York, CBGBs, and then I wrote image co opted by the mainstream because yeah, it's it's that thing of I think. Alongside Iron Maiden as well, I would add. It's one mm. of those bands that H&M sells their T-shirts to people who have no idea what it is because, yeah, the, the visuals are good. So I knew and liked Blitzkrieg Bop. That was about it. And I just presumed that they hadn't had that many albums and all their songs sounded like Blitzkrieg Bop. So it was interesting to go through your playlist because I think every song is from a different album. So there's mm-hmm. quite a, a wide range there. And yeah, it was interesting to research them a little bit as people because it's it's a weird and wild story with the with the Ramones. And I, I hadn't even realized that they had lineup changes and there's kind of two generations of Ramones. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it. Yeah, I always knew there's more than the four Ramones. Um and I knew that all four members of now sadly died. Um yeah. but yeah, but I didn't know about Joey and Johnny and mm-hmm. their relationship. Which is yes. very interesting. And the and the politics. I had no idea that one, if not two of them, were conservative, which seems mad for a oh, punk yeah. band. But uh, but there we go. It's strange that the, the prototype punk band had very little punk uh, views, you know, like they they had a uniform and they were into making money. Like apparently mm. like in CPGBs, they made sure that one of the members or the band was on the door so they could make so they could make as much money as possible and no one could steal their money. Which is wow. very punk ethic. So But I mean reading about is it Johnny, the, yeah. the conservative one, he did you read about what his dad was like? 
because uh, I know it, he went it, to mi- military school. Did he also? He went to or? military school. Um, and when he was describing his dad, his dad, the story that was on Wikipedia is like when Johnny broke his toe and didn't want to go and play in some kind of game, some kind of some, some sports ball game. Mm-hmm. I know sports. His dad was like, what? Are you a baby? Have I raised a baby? Who gives a fuck if you've got a broken toe off you go? And I'm like, well, you know what? <laughs> I think when you're when you're raised in that kind of environment, either you adapt or you you don't. And yeah, he went to military school and apparently had quite a lot of, you know, self self-disciplinary attitudes. Whereas Joey was more liberal and um and very different. So yeah, I don't know. Is it kind of Morrissey and Ma? vibes going on here of two very different people coming together uh and then the story which we're going to come to in one of the songs of uh of yeah, some yeah. ladies is uh yeah it's all it's all very incestuous and weird so yeah it's, it's also interesting but like so dd seemed to be the main songwriter mm-hmm. um tommy seemed to be the the face and the production guy mm-hmm. they had a little sort of bits there, and johnny was like you know the fast and furious and the the boss and uh and then Joe was like kind of what he would say, the freak. He was the outsider. So, you know, a lot of punks, I guess, come from being an outsider. And he was mm-hmm. probably the most outside of all of those people. Because I think growing up, he was quite a, a gawky, shy child. And as soon as he put on a leather jacket, he then, you know, found his real self. Um, mm-hmm. So he's kind of a strange front man, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah. they are an interesting, interesting band. Um, but yeah, I, I guess my playlist, I thought we should discover the entire back catalogue so that's why I chose you know as much as I could through the album history rather than just putting the hits but I have included a few of the singles to, to make it fair. Um, I did not know a single song oh, really? on the playlist. Yeah I really I really don't know Ramones because as discussed on kind of our, our punk episode it's not really a genre that I'm very much into and I know Blitzkrieg Bop because I think everyone does like uh, mm. I said to my boyfriend today oh I'm gonna do Ramones and he was like who and I played Blix Creep up and he's like oh hey ho let's go got it uh but I don't know how much beyond Blitz Creek Bob I listen to because even Sheena is a punk rocker and I want to be sedated mm-hmm. I'd kind of forgotten what they sounded like I had to go and listen again and be like oh right so I just I never paid them much due so I was really glad that you put this playlist together because it it surprised me it, it surprised me and it's not 10, 10 songs that are the same, in my opinion. So, I am embarrassed just yeah. to admit that I heard the Offspring's version of I Want to Be Sedated before I knew it as a Ramones song. Well, there we go. And oh, listen, sorry. you're just, you're showing your age, that's all. Showing but, your age. Yeah, I think, I think three of these or four of these are singles. Um, so um, let's restart off with the, uh, the first track. Let's do it. Overrated. What is it called? We have Cretin Family from the, mm-hmm. the Farewell 1995 album Adios Amigos. Which has a fantastic album cover. I recommend checking it out. <laughs> Dinosaurs with um what what are the Mexican hats called? Sombreros? Yep. That's all that's all you need to know. <laughs> but yeah, so this was again another lineup change. And we instead of DD on the bass, we had CJ, the young mm-hmm. The young bass player, and he sings the he sings the vocals on mm. this track. Do you never? No, I was I was going to ask you because I, I doesn't seem to be the same singer on every on every mm. song. So I w- was hoping you'd research that. Although, like I'm thinking, I like, so live. What the hell is Joey doing when other people are singing? He's just standing there. He doesn't. Know I t- mean, 
He's the best of the band. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even have a tambourine in the in the live show. I mean, the poor guy. Um, so yeah, uh, this isn't exactly great. This it does to me. It sounds like this lazy punk. Like if you could close your eyes and think of a punk band, this is what you know you you probably imagine him sounding like. And it has the amazing lyric: "Why don't you get a hula hoop and do the crescent hop?" Yes. Which we've all thought about from time to time. See, I actually quite like this song. <laughs> uh, it was it was a surprising open because, again, I was expecting the Ramones sound from the early 70s. Mm. And this is a bit rockabilly, a bit more interesting. And because I only really know Blitzkrieg Bop with the vocals that you can barely hear, here it's much clearer. The guitar and bass are much more sophisticated. And I, I picked up on sort of Dead Kennedys and Suicidal Tendencies vibes which I think I'm like, okay, that's an interesting evolution. This is 95. They, they're going with the times. So I, I really enjoyed this song. Um, it didn't, it didn't seem like, uh, you know, um, what's the word? Punk by numbers. Do you know what's weird about this? No. Is that this was written by DD Ramon, even though he quit the band seven years before, previous, he still wrote songs for the band, even though he wasn't in the band. What I read is, wasn't he the main songwriter, but he didn't sing at the beginning because he couldn't sing and play bass at the same time. Bless yeah. him. I, I also can't very well. So that's the reason that. uh, why in Joy Division, um, Bernard didn't sing because he couldn't sing and play the guitar at the same time. Oh, first. I didn't know that. Wow. And, okay. and when, well, he's definitely uh, evolved. <laughs> oh, yeah. So when Ian Curtis died, basically he made sure that when he sang, there was no guitar. So if you listen to Early New Order, listen, oh, but there's wow. barely any guitar. And then he would do the guitar lines in between his vocals to make it easier. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, and sorry, and CJ is the bassist and he sings a song, but I guess he was he was a, a modern era. So yeah, so I wasn't a massive fan of uh, of Cretan family, but I wanted to show you know the, no, no, the, I, I enjoyed it. The I sound it. of the band as it petered out because sadly, like you know, they that was a farewell album and it didn't even sell. It only was success, a success in Brazil where they were massive. <laughs> Wow. And because apparently, of course, Brazil was going through a bad time in the in the nineties. They looked at punk rock as being a savior. So basically, nice. they go to like um, Brazil, and there's, and there's stuff on the uh, YouTube of this. And it's like the Beatles; they couldn't drive a car, and then they go Amazing. back to New York and play to twenty people. What I do know is that Spin magazine voted Ramones the second greatest band in the world after the Beatles, which I think is absolute fucking madness. <laughs> but also their names from the, it's from the Beatles. You never, you never yes, I did. I, I learned that this time because Paul McCartney put, would check in as Paul Ramon, I imagine, <laughs> without the E on the end. I, it, you know, it's quite nice, the whole changing, changing the surnames to seem uniform and that definitely works and you know when bands look all the same like the strokes mm. or white stripes it is quite striking so it's a nice it's a nice visual move but and again you know if you look at the uk punk bands they're supposed to hate the beatles mm. and here's the ramones who started off the movement kind of and they're named after a beetle and they love pop music you know, they weren't trying to say that it doesn't you know, surprise me that they love pop music well especially we see the the next song that you've picked mm. but there is definite pop sensibilities in, in some of these songs. Yeah, they weren't like saying, you know, everything before us is terrible. I mean, mm -hmm. I, th I, th I know they went on record to say that they hated prog rock and they couldn't play it, but like, yeah, they weren't like, I think the uh, the 70s uh, UK scene was a bit more posery. Like, uh, yeah. like if you're a punk, you're a proper punk. I don't think well, this really is what that. I think we're going to come to in, in discussing the Stranglers as well, because that's mm -hmm. that's part of it too. Their, their position in that scene how they were perceived and everything going on around. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. 
Um, but we are moving even we are moving backwards in a way with the next pick. Yeah, before the 70s. So, yeah. So I, I don't know why I chose this order, but here we go. So uh, <laughs> this is the Phil Spector um, Ramones. He did one album uh, and we have Baby, I Love You. And it's from the end of the century album, I believe. I hated this. <laughs> did you? I absolutely hated it. Uh, and I didn't know it was a Phil Spector song. So my first note was, what pseudo Burt Bacharach nonsense is this? And then I looked it up and I was like, right, what Phil Spector nonsense is this? Because it's a Ronettes cover. I I didn't like the song. And I thought like, are the Ramones trying to be Burt Bacharach? And I was like, oh no, it's a cover version. But I'm like, but it's a cover version that adds absolutely nothing. It, there isn't a Ramones spirit going through it. So I thought, what the hell is the point of this song? In the UK, this was on a KFC advert. Oh. <laughs> and apparently this was actually only successful in the UK when it came out as well. And <laughs> and Phil Spector basically wanted to make them as commercial as possible because he saw them as being the last classic pop band. So that's why he, you know, he thought, well, let's do a classic pop band that I basically own. And then, yeah, So he, Phil Spector produced this album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And so he chose his own song to, to make himself some more money, probably. And mm. uh, yeah, and half the band hated it. <laughs> And half the mm-hmm. band loved it. I think Joey, as a pop guy, he loved it. But Johnny, as a pop like guitar player, was like, no, this is worth me sending out. And mm-hmm. then it didn't do anything. Uh, so it basically it kicked that sort of sound away forever. And they went back to the old one, two, three, four, kind of. But yeah. I didn't mind. I didn't mind. I mean, to me, it is what it is. You know, it's just a, you know, it's a, a soppy 60s track. But then also, I then thought, hang on. So recently... Sid Vicious had had a hit with uh, an old swappy song with uh, his cover of My Way, so maybe that's another thing they thought it could do, a punky version of a classic. I mean, Sid Vicious's cover of My Way had a Sid Vicious twist yeah. on it. This doesn't at all. So I just, I really thought, what's the point? And yeah, I didn't, I didn't do more research to see that it was a Phil Spector album, but now it all makes sense and it absolutely does not do it for me at all. Yeah, I think it was like the last push because in America they didn't sell anything. I, I think like a couple of years ago, the debut album has just become gold, selling 500,000. Are you it serious? Took, it took 38 years for that to happen. That's wow. how little albums they Ramones sold. That's why, yeah, wow. that, that's that about this one more T-shirts. is. But there was something on Wikipedia, as there wasn't there, about how they basically toured solidly for 22 years playing mm. over 2,000 concerts, something like that. Let yeah, me actually it, check those facts because, yeah, I can't remember. There was no that. money. And basically each mm-hmm. record... They, it's again, it's not, I guess it's not a punk yeah. attitude, but they, most punks want them want to sell records. But yeah, they, they really always wanted to sell records and they would do anything they could to sell more records. So yeah, let's get Phil Spector in. Yeah, let's do, let's, let's be in a film. Yeah, let's do this. You know, they would do as much as they could to get some success because I guess they were bored of playing the, the same club circuit again and again and again. Yeah, so the, the stats on Wikipedia are they played 2,263 concerts touring virtually nonstop for 22 years. <sighs> That is exhausting. No wonder they fell out. Yeah, these days wait four years for a band to tour sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So, well, there we go. Hello, this is your editor here, Fran. I just realised we didn't mention what the song was called. So this is Today You Love, Tomorrow The World. Thank you. So um, next pick is uh, their debut, because I had to have a song from the debut album. And I wanted to include one track with the classic one two three four from dd oh but it's not the only one that has one two three four on this list but yeah but i guess it's like the the first time they kind of did it so like yeah this is from the debut album and it's exactly what you think a ramon song would be it's like a the, the emergency free chord punk um mm. but 
I, I said to, to Babs off, off the record, I said that, you know, I, I've listened to this playlist so many times and I then forget how the song goes because a lot of them are quite similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it's 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 just, it's fine. Um, but then I think that they repeat the chorus like three times at the end, maybe so it would go past the two-minute mark because most of the mm-hmm. tracks on a debut album barely hit two minutes. Oh, yeah, this is the polar opposite to the Kent playlist that you provided yeah, for yeah. me uh, <laughs> a while ago. And the, I knew, so I already listened to these tracks today and, you know, I had to work and stuff. But I was like, I'm going to have absolutely, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to have time <laughs> because I know it's Ramones. And I think the longest song you picked was 345. I'm sorry. With this song, it was one of the ones on this list where I didn't really have an opinion straight away. I had to listen to it a few times to form a more solid opinion. And in the end, I decided I liked it. But I think my favourite part is the beginning before the vocals kick in. I think what, the guitar what, one, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, the instrumental bit, because it, it, it's quite a long mm. instrumental bit before the vocals kick in. And I really liked how the guitar, bass and drums are, are playing together. For the vocals, I'm not a fan of because it's yeah, similar. I just think they can sound very whiny and annoying. And, and this is one of them. I'm not a huge fan either of the section after they go, eins, zwei, drei, you know, fear. I called it, you know, the, the Eurovision key change. Mm-hmm. And I also wasn't a fan of the topic because it seems like it's singing from the point of view of a Nazi. Where have we seen this nonsense before? That's right. Check out our punk episodes uh, back from season one. I feel like I had prejudices about the Ramones, that they were a punk band that would have had two albums and that was it. And that they wouldn't have been very good musicians. But actually, I think they're playing really well on this one. So it was, it was despite not, you know, being an amazing, perfect song, it really surprised me and and started changing my mind a little bit on Ramones. Yeah, I mean, they're not bad players, are they? I think Tommy said that he learned the drums because they couldn't find another drummer. I mean, it's um, quite standard, isn't it? Um, <laughs> a lot of the time, I know so many people where it's like, yeah, I'd learned the drums because my friends wanted to form a band and everyone else already played something else. The reason they got their manager was because he um, said that he would buy them a drum, a drum kit. Uh, that was the uh, that's what that's what made them choose him because they, they had no drum kit yet. Um, Incredible. So yeah. <laughs> um, and then yeah, we're moving on. So this was like I think as a, a well-known um, Ramones track. It's called Pinhead from uh, 1977, and um, yeah, the Gabba Gabba. Madness. Um, yeah, the Gabba, the Gabba Gabba is is like a trademark thing alongside Hey Ho, Let's Go. And oh, right. Him, I didn't know that. You see them live. They bring out like a goblin holding the sign saying Gabba Gabba. I don't know why. And a, pin, <laughs> a pinhead is like, yeah, another name for a freak. So basically mm-hmm. it's like Joey is singing about himself, but it's quite of repetitive in it. It's very competitive. Yeah. I The, the beginning intrigued me so much because mm. I, Gabba Gabba, we accept you. you. We accept you, one of us. And the distortion on the vocal, I thought, what, what is this? This is almost psychedelic. This is going to be super interesting. And then it turns into, yeah, a more standard Ramones song. Like, I don't think it's bad. There's definitely worse on this list, but it's not fantastic either. I reckon someone's got those ta- lyrics on a tattoo somewhere. Oh, you know, that, you know someone does. <laughs> you know someone does. It never fails to surprise me. Ta- tattoos that people get and the obscurity. Like, my... My ex-boyfriend who was into punk, he was really into a band called The Bouncing Souls for a mm. while. I don't know if you've heard of them. No, I no. certainly hadn't until um, uh, I met him, though they have a very good song called Argyle. So yeah, I do recommend that. But I remember him taking me on a tour through the kinds of tattoos, the kinds of Bouncing Souls tattoos that people got, which is, yeah, this punk band, not that well known. I remember 
were like people got tattoos in their mouths and I'm just like how just I mean I don't know I'm I'm quite a boomer when it comes to tattoos I think because I know that if I got any tattoo I would get bored with it mm. I would get bored of it within a week Definitely. within a week I agree. I, I agree. I'd want to do it and if I had got a tattoo when I was a teenager it would be like I don't know radiohead lyrics and I cannot imagine trying to explain that now to someone so yeah, yeah. like if someone could invent invisible ink for a tattoo so it basically it would last 10 years I'm sure mm. I maybe I've had one <laughs> but um well yeah there are henna tattoos right so that's that's but a bit longer like 10 years I guess would be like because then if I got one 18 by the time I'm 28 I may still like some things by the time I'm 48 probably not going to be into the same yeah. sort of stuff maybe so a 10-year tattoo would be a big hit but yeah I, I i can't think of anything i want on my skin forever to be fair no absolutely not like, there's, this, there's this great quote which is says that a tattoo is a permanent reminder of a temporary feeling and that's mm. absolutely what it is i mean and that can be nice sometimes because you know if you're celebrating something good if you're feeling low yeah maybe you can look at your i don't know tattoo of a shark to remember when you went diving in the great barrier reef and Remember the good times, but yeah, as you say, you can wear a t-shirt or look through your Facebook photos. I have no metal, no ink, because I am not cool at all, I guess. Piercings I do like, but that's a story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kinkier side of the podcast. <laughs> Moving on to other kinky things. Every time I eat vegetables, it makes me think of you, I believe. Uh, thanks, from, man. From, night, uh, from the 1983 album, Suburban Jungle. So Subterranean Jungle. Um, I like this. Uh, it's bonkers. Absolutely have bonkers. You, have you listened to the looks? Oh, I've got them written out. <laughs> please, please. Do, do, you, do you want me to read them out? Yes, please. <laughs> she was a really good friend, a really good friend to me, yeah, but they took her away, tossed her in the bin. Now she's hanging out in East Berlin. Ow. She had a very bad affair with some cat from Hiroshima. She turned into a head of lettuce. She eats Thorazine in her farina, but they took her away, tossed her in the bin. Now she's hanging out in East Berlin. Ow. <laughs> what the I mean, fuck? It's original. <laughs> Uh, you yes. got to give them that. I, I, I kind of like it. I think it's fun. Um, I think the drums, it starts to sound a bit 80s. It's, it's got like an, like an effect on the drums, it dates it mm. a bit. And it, it's kind of moving into maybe like rock rather than punk. But mm. yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy I discovered this. I quite, I quite like it. How about you? This this wasn't one of my favourites. I think the lyrics really made me laugh. The, the title mm. already made me laugh. I'm like, where where is this going? And the lyrics are really good. But again, I found the vocals whiny and thought this was fairly standard Ramones fair so I have to say I can't really even remember what it sounds like just madness is what I remember yeah I mean like, like I said earlier that's kind that's kind of uh, uh my my attitude to a lot of these it's like they failed to have a hook a lot of them mm. um and that's what and yeah I guess Joey isn't the best singer so I don't think it's just him being the the best singer it's whoever's producing it you know they then there needs to be some kind of effect. I mean, I, yeah, I, I obviously, as you can hear, have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's just, it's raw and not in a good way. I think there needs to be some gloss on there to not make it sound so grating. It's in my ears anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, the next song is to me quite grating, which is yes, uh, Warthog from the uh, 84. This is too tough to die. And this is when they wanted to get back to the roots to be mm. like the uh, no, the, uh, the uh, extreme punky band they were known as. So uh, they made it sound more grittier. And I, I believe this is uh, Didi on vocals, which is why it sounds a bit different. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, this is not for me whatsoever. I think it just sounds embarrassing. Uh, the lyrics is all about um, being a junkie, is it, I think? 
Oh, I didn't look up the lyrics for this one. It's so like, you tell yeah, me. Sick, sick, sick. Um, it's like, you know, these drugs are making me sick and that sort of stuff. It's like, okay. Um, it's, it's yeah. I, I guess, you know, when it's 1984 and you've been in a punk band for eight years, I think you can maybe move on from those sort of uh, lyrics, but maybe I'm, a, I'm an old old man looking back. <laughs> but yeah, this was not for me at all. Um, I, I think you agree, maybe. Uh, it, it, a bit, yes. Yeah. So I found the beginning really annoying and I don't like the vocals. Again, I've put suicidal tendencies vibes, but not as well done because I, I keep saying suicidal tendencies because that's a guy who's kind of speak rapping mm. over guitar music but he does it quite well, is it Didi doesn't. But I quite like the frantic guitar and accompanying drums. So ignoring the vocals and just those bits with the sort of jerky time signatures, I quite like that. And I said that I would love to be able to do a wild boar remix if I could <laughs> and to just cut up the the bits that I like and, and make it my own because I think there's something there, but there's too much going on that's not good. Um, so yeah, I've, I've wrote up the lyrics because I've now reminded myself why I chose this. So this is the verse. I shot some dope. I feel so sick. It's a sick world. Sick, sick, sick. Drugs and bitches and junkies and fags. Artificial oh, phonies. I hate it. I hate it. And later on, he says, um, it's a drugs and lies and a ripoff bet. Drugs and bitches and commies and queers. Artificial phonies. I hate it. I hate it. So a bit of fun there from uh, Didi. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I mean, it's that thing of, is it a bit like, I'd love to change the world by 10 years after where he says freaks and fairies, but you know that mm. they 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 are part of those. I, it doesn't sound like here Dee sees that he's part of those and uh, he's supporting them, is he? So Yeah, but then later on, uh, it's got a thing, a song called like 53rd Street about him being a rent boy and then stabbing his, uh, what's, what's the customer called again for a rent boy? John. Uh, his John with a razor blade. Um, wow! So is, that, in, is that true or is that just well, artistic? people don't people don't know. And and he oh. refu- and in the, in the interview he refused to go. Uh, he elaborated on it. Interesting. I mean, and this is also in 1984, where I guess the AIDS crisis is starting, and they're in New York, which is sort of at the epicenter of it. Uh, yeah, that is that's not nice. That's not nice. <laughs> is it him trying to sound punk and dangerous, or is it him being a prick? Oh, I don't know. A bit, again, column A, column B. <laughs> Over underrated. Sous évalué. Uvachets. Over underscattab. Over underrated. So, uh, moving on to, to anxiety. Uh, in 1992, in the 90s, it's their first um, album without Dee Dee playing the bass. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's written by, um, co-written by the, the drummer, Marky Ramone, who went in and out with a band. Um, Honestly, Marky Ramone just makes me think he's like Marky Mark's brother. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't disassociate it with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> it's nice when you meet people who are under 30 who have no idea about Marky Mark's Marky Mark, previous yeah. <laughs> music. And showing them a video, absolutely. What, what now? Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, if I if I was the PR person for um, Calvin Clients, I'd so like make another video, like the, 20th, like the 30th anniversary of it or something. Um, <laughs> so this is the lyrics to anxiety. Anxiety, anxiety keeps me happy. Anxiety, anxiety keeps me happy. Always diff all day long. Nothing right, nothing wrong. There you go, and that's basically repeated throughout the song. Um, it's interesting, but in 1992, when he had like, you know, grunge. Mm. And a lot of his bands like Pole Jam and the final, I think they're still, you know, 
influencing, no, saying they were influenced by the Ramones. So it's strange that they didn't try to maybe adjust their sound because it's still just a basic punk track, isn't it, really? Um, what's your thoughts? Well, actually, this is another one that I quite liked. I like right 90s Ramones. I don't yeah. know what's going on. It's a bit like Skid Row, isn't it, as well, where I like the latest stuff that everyone doesn't like. Um, <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just a pure 90s kid. I really like the way that the anxiety, anxiety repeats. And it makes me laugh that they say anxiety, anxiety makes me happy. It sounds quite twisted. The guitars and drums are in nice sync. I enjoyed this. It really made me think that I need to go and listen to 90s Ramones, which is not a sentence I thought I would say before. Not expected. Not expected. Given that I didn't know 90s Ramones existed. Absolutely not. Well, I I ignored one of the albums from the 90s because it's us all covers. Because mm. I thought, well, there's no point doing that one. So yeah, so they did like uh, the two albums in the nineties, really. And then moving on to um, the last DD album, uh, Brain Drain, with this has um, one of their biggest hits, um, Pet Cemetery. Do you know that song? No, I don't. So yeah, they did the theme tune to the movie, and that was right. kind of like their last kind of big hit. I think Pet Cemetery mm-hmm. had like a natural proper music video to it. Um, but Zero Zero uh, UFO. Uh, I've like I don't know if this is DD um, mm-hmm. who saw the UFO or if he just make up as it goes along. It's very pedestrian. I thought um, it just felt rushed to me. Like you know, we need some filler. Another miss for me. How about you? For me, it was similar to Today Your Love Tomorrow the World, where I had to listen a couple of times to figure out whether I liked it. I liked the chorus and the harmonies, which I guess don't always happen on Ramona songs. No. And the guitars are quite driving, but I would say it's middle of the table. Um, it's not, it, I, it's not your average Ramones fair to me, but I'm not in a rush to go and listen to it again. If I asked you to sing the chorus, could you remember it? Absolutely not. Same. And here. I listened to it twice <laughs> today, so there we go. That's, yeah, them, um, eat the rat from 1986 off the album Animal, Animal Boy. So I think it's the worst reviewed album. Obviously, as a rat owner, I'm not a fan of uh, eating rats, guys. Please stop it. Um, apparently, this is the sound of a band breaking up because we may mention this in a minute, the relations between Joey and Johnny were not good and refused to be in the studio at the same time together. This meant that I think Joey only sang maybe four songs on the entire album. I think Didi at the time was just saying he wanted to just write songs and get the thing finished as fast as possible <laughs> so I can move on to the next album. And it does sound like that to me. Yeah, this is a weird one because I wrote that it sounds like such a distilled punk song. It mm. really surprises me that it's from 1986. It feels like they've gone backwards a little bit. And I would have just dismissed it completely. But there's this breakdown in the middle, which is so interesting. And it's such a shame that there's this short breakdown. And then it goes back to how the song sounds at the beginning, because I think it would have been nice if it went in a different direction. And given that I've been listening to a lot of Stranglers, like absolutely that's what the Stranglers would have done and probably done a keyboard solo or five in between. Uh, I think that song could have done with a bit of that. Yeah, it's interesting how they didn't like go full 80s rack. So most bands by by now would be having like loads of simps, you know, maybe some vocoder, uh, maybe a, a rap. They kind of, I mean, obviously they experimented a little bit with like, you know, with the Phil Spector stuff. But yeah, it's interesting how they kind of still sounded pretty much the same uh, as the 1978 Ramones. It's, I'm surprised they didn't like get a producer to try and, you know, change things up a little bit because it is, if I was a Ramones fan by now, would I be bored? 
I don't think you would though, no. because if you're really a fan of that original sound, this is a it's a little bit different to to their original sound, but still very clearly Ramones. It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I think sometimes one admires bands and artists that really match the the time. You know, my I think unpopular opinion. I really like David Bowie in the 90s. I think he's evolving. I like what he did with, with Trent Reznor. It's really interesting. And so many people dismiss it. And I'm like, he's absolutely going with the time and not in an embarrassing way. Like he is he is helping create that sound as well. So next is the KKK took my baby away from 1981 Pleasant Dreams. And uh, there's a rumor that many rumors, this, is, I think. this is about Johnny stealing Joey's girlfriend, Linda, who went on to become... Uh, Johnny's wife, and she now owns half of the Ramones. Um, back catalogue? Yeah, back catalogue. She's done quite well, well out of this. Um, but yeah, do you want to mention the lyrics? She went away for the holidays, said she's going to LA, but she never got there. She never got there, they say. The KKK took my baby away. They took her away, away from me. Uh, ring me, ring me, ring me up the president and find out where my baby went. So you, you can see the vibes. Mm-hmm. So what I read was that, yeah, people thought it was about Johnny stealing, in inverted commas, Linda. But then Joey's brother, Mickey Lee, who, I don't know if you read about this, but there's going to be a HBO show, I think, based on Joey Ramone's life called I Slept With Joey Ramone, and Pete Davidson is going to be playing Joey Ramone. And it's a book written by this guy, Mickey Lee, and he's involved in in the film, so it should be interesting. Anyway, so Mickey Lee says that the song had been written about Joey's relationship with a black woman whose parents disapproved of the interracial relationship. When Lee asked what happened, Joey said, the KKK took my baby away. But then Marky Ramone said it was something else. And it was inspired by Joey's experience at a mental institution. And there was an African-American woman there who disappeared. And that's what he said when when she left kind of with, with no trace. So a mystery. It's that thing of what, when you read about Johnny stealing away Linda, I, I, I just think it's it's so casual that it's like oh the kkk took my baby away but then you read that apparently johnny did used to make fun of joey for being jewish and it's like well that's not great but if it's not if it's about like you know uh, a, a real person it just seems so i don't know callous and casual to be like oh yeah the kkk took my baby away it's like that's you know i i see what you're trying to do and it's a bit tongue-in-cheek but i don't know it leaves me with a bad taste in my mouth <laughs> um, but, but sadly, it's actually quite a catchy chorus. <laughs> See, yeah, I wrote that it's punk with pop, punk with pop sensibilities mm. for sure, more than any other song apart from the Phil Spector cover. But it it doesn't really do it for me apart, apart from the harmonies. Again, I I quite like when they do harmonies on on songs. It works well. The actual the main riff is quite uh, similar to White Riot by the Clash. But then again, you know, you could say the Clash stole that from the Ramones in the first place. Say. That completes the playlist. Is there anything else mm. you wanted to mention regarding the history of domains? I think I've already mentioned my shock that they were voted the second greatest band of all time by Spin. And because I didn't know about Johnny being a conservative, it blew my mind that when they were inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Johnny thanked George W. Bush for his presidency, which I'm like, that is <laughs> one that, a very un-rock and roll thing to do. Uh, and, you know, one of the reasons why I hate Brandon Flowers, because Brandon Flowers, when um, Green Day released American Indian, were like, oh, that's un-American. I'm like, fuck off. Fuck off. Anyway, answering the question, do I think they're overrated? I do still think Ramones are overrated. I will say that it's not clear to me how influential they are. 
because that seems to be the argument that they were one of the first or the first to write songs that were so short and to really kind of focus on on this kind of music but I struggle to believe that I think there were lots of other bands doing similar things and I don't I don't think Ramones were were before I mean even in in terms of timing right because their first album was from 76 okay kind of the year before punk exploded but there were other bands doing similar things mm-hmm. but I will say I don't think they're as overrated as I thought before this playlist because clearly they experimented a bit more than I knew about and I'm honestly keen to go and explore their 90s stuff who would have thought um as per usual there's a good documentary on uh, the band of course there is I was I was waiting to hear <laughs> when it's on it's on Vimeo in the UK for free it's called end of the century um so check that out from what further so what watching. what's the theme is it oh, just the history of the Ramones yeah. or literally well it talks to all the members before they um, passed away I think it's literally maybe a year before Joey's death so you get to have them post Ramones so they're all quite open and um, there's some interesting parts where they ask um Johnny about his relationship and he asks Linda he refuses to like, answer some questions. So it's, it's, you, you could tell there's still, you know, resentment. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just mad, obviously, how um, talking about relationships, like Johnny literally says how right wing it is. And you'd mm-hmm. never have a band who would ever say those words these days. Mm-hmm. Even if they fought it, they would never admit to being proper right wing in, in, in the modern climate. It's interesting. I think there probably are bands like that, but they're in a subcategory right like a mainstream band absolutely Mm. wouldn't which i think makes sense given the because it's all about what stage are we in right now and you know the ramones carried on throughout the 80s and you know even if you don't like ronald reagan as i don't um i think a lot of people have good cultural associations with america in that time period and it it seems to be a, a a period where you know, people got richer. It was it was kind of good times. So I think when it's something like that, it doesn't it doesn't seem completely alien to me why someone would would profess being right wing, even though I I am very much not. Whereas I think in any time of a crisis, you know, after two thousand and eight or now in these COVID times and everything coming afterwards, it kind of seems a bit mad to 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 be like that if you're if you're a band because it just absolutely seems like you're you're going along with the mainstream that doesn't seem to be doing very much for you depends what country you're in obviously I'm thinking more of the UK than anything else but yeah it definitely blew my mind that one or two of them were ardent republicans it's also strange how like how loyal they were like come on like if you knew your guitar player who you hate because of his political views who also allegedly just stole your girlfriend and you're touring literally 200 dates a year in the (laughs) same band the same hotel room that is some awkward silences for a long, long time, you got to you know, take hat off to jo- to Joey to putting up with that. Apparently, when yeah. he's like, when he never took a day off, even with his feeling sick, he would always do a show. Like he said, "I am the Ramones." That's so, it. It's a job, isn't it? Mm. And it's actually quite interesting. Later on, I'll tell you some things that Jet Black from The Strangler said about music and and music as a job. But if you see it as a job, it's like with anything. You know, you have your colleagues. And you have some that you get on with better, worse than, and you have to know how to handle it. And if they were very keen to keep it going for whatever reason it was, then then yeah, it doesn't surprise me too much that he has that attitude. But I I imagine then that you also still think they're overrated. Yeah, I, if you look at them musically, like compare them to say the Clash or a band we're going to talk about in the, in the later on, they're not great. I mean, they've got maybe 
six fun tracks, but I wouldn't ever listen to a best of, of the Ramones, unfortunately. And you know, and and proves the, the albums haven't sold because and the album reviews are not good. Like they're basically the first couple of albums get good reviews, and after that, it's scraping the barrel. Really, um, I think you know. Yet, yet oh. they have four point three million monthly listeners. So people want to listen to them, but not pay for them. I think. But we don't know. Is that just to one song? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's okay. actually not. And compared to the Stranglers, which you'll I'll, I'll talk mm. about that. So the biggest song is Blitzkrieg Bop, Blitzkrieg Bop with 183 million, but the next one has 129 million. I want to be sedated. Okay, and then there's a bit of a drop off, 48 million, 42 million. But still, it's not. You know, one song has 10 times more listeners than the others. So people are listening to them. But I think it's also probably just because they have so many. Al- How many albums do they have? 14. Is it 14? Yeah, it's. It's a lot, and did does that shoot them in the foot a little bit? I don't know if, like you say, you wouldn't listen to a Ramones Greatest Hits. Actually, I think I probably would if it was a well curated one that really picked mm. different sounds within the Ramones, not just you know the hits from the first few albums. So it's hard because, like, I guess in theory, the average person may not get a thing more than one Ramon song. So it's hard to say that a band like that are overrated. But I'm kind of going from like the music snobs because mm. of the legacy. You're yeah, always exactly. like told you can't touch the Ramones, you can't slate the Ramones because of the legacy. And I'm like, well, I mean, you can because <laughs> if it's about the music, you know, yeah, okay, they, they did their part, but so mm. did a lot of other bands, like you said. So, you know, so to me, yeah, I'm, I'm happy they existed. You know, they had a, a good Simpsons episode. Uh, <laughs> yes we all enjoying hey we all enjoy saying hey ho let's go but maybe let's let's move on from the uh the top shop with most t-shirts and maybe try another band there's quite a lot of bands out there guys yes if i had to recommend one right now it would be turnstile go listen to them instead they're very interesting modern punk genre blending there we go and have you heard of a, of a, a new hip punk band called the subways oh, oh tell yeah. me more <laughs> On tour in the UK now. So do you agree that 90s Ramones might be worth listening to? Hmm, not an opinion I expected to come with today after this episode. But never mind that, because now we're getting into the really important stuff. I'm going to be waxing lyrical about one of my favourite brands, The Stranglers. Enjoy. It's an S-Pod thing. The podcast revisiting S-Club 7's insane TV show. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone's binge-watched this, anyone who's not on drugs. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this into my life. Uh, it was honestly <laughs> truly appalling. Guests help me analyse the show in more detail than anyone ever asked for. It feels weird to me to say the phrase sex object in a show that <laughs> was aimed at six-year-olds. Do you think Do you think one of the problems with this show is that seven is too much? It's an S-Pod thing from Great Big Owl. Underrated. Part two. Underrated, The Stranglers, picked by me. So I was complaining to Fran because we've done quite a few underrated bands that he picked. And I have been looking for an excuse to talk about The Stranglers for a while. I think they're probably my favourite 70s band, despite the fact I'm still making my way through their back catalogue. So I'm someone who... 
when I discover a band with such a big back catalogue, I don't go all in immediately because I think you need a bit of breathing space and I quite like doing it bit by bit. So I've only got to, I think, 95 with The Stranglers. So let's just say this is not totally definitive and I might need to come back. Are we saying, to make it fairer, this is like The Stranglers Mark 1? Yes. And then we can do Mark 2. Excellent. Delighted, Fran. So why, why did I pick The Stranglers? You know, it's a band that people have heard of and they did Golden Brown. I think they have an incredibly unique sound. I think it's some kind of psychedelic new wave punk. People know Golden Brown, which is an amazing song and probably the only number two song to feature a harpsichord. I don't know. Come back to me. But even if you know a few others like Peaches, like No More Heroes, you are barely scratching the surface of the kind of things that they've done. And they started out as a punk band and that's what they were categorized as, as a punk band or a pub rock band. And it's really funny to hear them talk about their early years because it just seems like, yeah, we became a punk band because we all had short hair and wore literally, they they were like, we wore straight trousers and DMs. And so we became a band in this kind of context along with, you know, all the other punk bands and um jet black said that apparently he helped out the sex pistols drummer with a few tips when they when they used to play like used to come up to him quite a bit but i i really think that people don't know their deeper cuts and they are missing out on absolute geniuses i think dave greenfield's keyboards are epic and i saw i saw a documentary for once fran where um hugh cornwell's introducing him and he's saying oh he's better than rick wakeman uh, and I, w- I would say that's true. You've got JJ Burnell on the bass, absolutely killing it. He is one of my favorite bass players. And um, I saw Stranglers Live in 2015 with Dave Greenfield and JJ Burnell. And JJ Burnell, much of a total arsehole as he is, and I'll come back to that. He came out on the, he came out and just, it was like he was trying to make eye contact with everyone. Like, I am not here to fuck around. I'm here powerfully with my bass. And it was, it was amazing. And I think, combined with Hugh Cornwell's vocals and delivery and guitar playing and Jet Black's very solid drumming. I think all of them are amazing musicians. They come together very well and they've produced such interesting music that no one has ever listened to. So they have 2.2 million monthly listeners, but Golden Brown has almost 10 times more plays than the next song, Peaches. Uh, So I think that's a shame. Now, are they assholes? Absolutely. <laughs> are they macho pricks? 100%. It really annoys me. I think there are lots of bands that annoys me that I like them because on so many levels, they they do not match my, I don't know, my attitude towards the world. I don't want to go for a drink with any of them. And uh, in this interview in 1990, JJ Benelman talking about what set them apart from, from other punk bands. They were like, yeah, we were a little bit older. We were just more aggressive and violent in this very kind of casual way. And I'm like, this is not, this is not a good thing. And also like, okay, it comes across, especially in their earlier music, it comes across in their attitude and that is quite attractive, but they really seem like total bricks. So nevertheless, as much as I hate that, their music transcends it. So I'm quite excited to get stuck into this. And I, I hope that you're at least a bit of a Strangler fan. Stranglers fan, Fran. I own the best of the Stranglers from, mm. uh, from I think, 1992. Mm-hmm. So it's the Who Cornwall uh, Stranglers years. Yeah, I've always dabbled with them because um, when they're good, they're brilliant. So I don't know, like, obviously, you've lived in different countries. 
So I had an idea that Golden Brown was big outside of the UK. I don't know what songs are, are big in Europe. Is there any other <laughs> ones? So you... Well, yeah, so I think the, the ones that I heard, mostly it was Peaches, No More Heroes and Always the Sun. Mm-hmm. Um, they Besides Golden Brown, that's what it was. I would say that Stranglers are big in Europe. And I mean, given that one of their members is of French origin and they sing some songs in other languages as well, as we, as we will see, <laughs> that I think immediately makes them more attractive, at least to audiences in those countries. So I would say they're probably not as big and well-known as they are in the UK, but everyone knows Golden Brown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Golden Brown was the first track I knew. I knew Peaches mm. because of there's a famous chef in the 80s called... Uh, uh, Keith Floyd. Keith Floyd. Yeah, I and read about the, this as well. That was, yeah, that's randomly the theme tune to a speaking show, which looking back is a very strange option. Um, <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, I mean, slowly over my, my life, I would just discover a little gem. So, like, I think you know, I discovered Always the Sun, and then I discovered No More Heroes, and then I discovered Duchess. So they always had songs that I had. I would just eventually find. I think, oh, that's, that's a that's a, a surprising track. Like, you know, Duchess mm. doesn't sound like the same band who did Peaches. No, so not I, at all. So, yeah, that's why I bought a best of them. Yeah, and I pretty much like, you know, a dozen songs on this. But I've never gone deep on the Stranglers because, I don't know, I I've, I've, I remember listening to The Raven, I think it's kind of a big album for them, mm-hmm. and didn't love it. So every time I've tried, I've, I've kind of hit a wall. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, again, you know, they were, yeah, a punk band who were just a punk band because they were a British band in 1977 playing mm-hmm. loud, loudest music. I don't, people, I think, have teased them because they think that who Cornwall put on a, a fake voice. Like he sneered a lot more in the late 70s than he did in the 80s. So is that mm, fake? We're playing up to it a lot more? Well, I don't think it is because I, from watching this documentary, they were antagonist, antagonistic immediately. Mm. So they, you know, got reputations for for playing pretty rowdy shows. And they did this show called like the Cottage Tour or something where they went to Surrey University in Guildford, which is where a lot of them are from mm-hmm. and where I think they moved to to become a band. And they tell this story that they sneaked their friends in through the window to, to go into the show because it was filmed and everything. And then the rugby lads who were acting as security escorted them out. And when they found out, so they played their songs and then at the end, Hugh Cornwell goes, sorry, university never represented Guildford and we're never playing to elite audiences again. And then they just walk off with nothing and everyone is kind of a, a bit shocked. And then the first time they went on top of the pops, which was to um, perform the Peaches B-side Go Buddy Go because Peaches was too controversial for the mm-hmm. BBC. <laughs> Chip Black says that because there was all this, oh God, you know, what are the Stranglers going to do? They literally asked for cleaning products in a Hoover and cleaned up the dressing room. And everyone thought they were insane. And they were like, well, no, but this is the point. So clearly there's like a, a cheekiness and an anti sort of Puritan streak to them, which that I can absolutely get on board with. But my my problem with them, it's it, they take it too far. They're, they're not, I feel like sometimes they're rallying around about the correct things like, like Puritanism. You know, as we mentioned, we have a song they have a song called I Feel Like a Wog, which is obviously quite an offensive term, but J.J. Bunnell, who is of French origin, apparently that was what he was called. And it was this very sort of anti-racist song. Um, so sometimes they get it right, but anytime they're talking about women, it is, it's not liberation for nubiles as Hugh Cornwell sings on Peaches. It is, we're leery old men and we want to leer at women. You know, it can come with a slice of anti-Puritanism, but it's not equality. So I, I, I think 
I think as a band, they're the kind of men that are, you know, they don't, apart from maybe JJ Bunnell, don't have much to rally against. So they're just rallying for the sake of it. And that's that's not very attractive to me. They're quite well educated. I think uh, Hugh Cornwall uh, did a, a degree in, was as a scientist, went to Gothenburg University. Uh, in Lund, yes. So, I mean, this isn't exactly the same story as uh, Johnny Rotten. Um, and also, yeah, I think uh, JJ can play classical guitar. As, yeah. you, as you said, Dave's like a virtuoso keyboard player. You know, these are things that you're told not to do in 1977, mm-hmm. especially three chords and that attitude. Yeah, and ironically, so Dave Greenfield joined the band mm. after answering an ad in the Melody Maker, which said organists needed to join soft rock band, which is hilarious. <laughs> that's <laughs> not at all what they were sounding like at the time. Yeah, that's, so, that's, it just yeah. took them 10 years to become that band. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so yes, but yeah, so I think a bit like the police, they were hiding how good they were as a musician. Mm. And then this is why when they progress, they progress 10 times more than like the damned because they had the skills, you know, they could really play their instruments. And that's that, that was kind of useful for them in, in, in the future years. But um, but interesting, although I do like the experimental music, like Ramones, their first two albums get all of the all of the praise. And yeah. other albums do not get good reviews. Like they're kind of around two to three stars per album. They've never really had a, like a big classic album where you must own this Strangler's album after the mm-hmm. first couple of albums, interesting. So maybe the experiments, experiments just you know, hurt their career as much as uh, promoted it. Well, yeah, like you, I got into the Stranglers through my mum buying their greatest hits mm-hmm. and realising that it was a bit more than, than Golden Brown and going going in on that. And I, I think apart from one album that we, I'm going to discuss, I don't think there is a perfect Stranglers album. But I think Stranglers are a band that you can't just listen to their albums once because it sounds so different album to album and they're songs that you just, you just don't really get the first time around quite a few on this playlist. The first time I heard them, I didn't like them. And it was on repeated listenings that, that I was like, Oh no, actually this is, this is genius. So, I mean, we can start. If yeah, you yeah, like. I I, so I, I didn't, I, you know, in an ideal world, yes, I would have included golden Brown and no, no more heroes, but I deliberately excluded those because, you know, I picked other songs from those albums, yeah. but my opening song is Peaches because it's, it is, you know, well, according to Spotify, their second most well-known song and their debut album called Rattus Norvegicus, named after the brown rat. I don't know if you know that, Franz. So there is, the, the rat is a symbol of the Stranglers. So, because on the, on the second album as well, No More Heroes, there's flowers over some rat's tails. So it is very much um, their wheelhouse. And Dave Greenfield used to own rats as well. So there ends the rat chat. Good man. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Robert Smith from The Cure says this is one of his top five albums. And I I think the song is absolutely genius. I think if this song was released today, it still sounds incredibly more modern. And Burnell and Cornwell divided songwriting duties on this. Often it would be, you know, one or the other to write it. And I think everything stands out. The sneery bass, the very smooth drums, the keyboards are even menacing. And Hugh Cornwell absolutely acts it out. Like he is a lechy, sneery man. And uh, he does it really, really well. Um, even the like vocoded noises of pleasure at the end, where he's just going, it's just, I, I think it's genius. And yeah, Simon Franks from Audio Bullies called it raw UK old school, which really made me laugh. So I, I think this more than holds up and feels very authentic. You're correct. I mean, but yeah, this is a dirty, a dirty song. And really fun to play on bass. Yeah, yeah, I knew because like, yeah, the, it's, it's a very famous bass line. And mm-hmm. my only issue, I think, is that after a minute, 
to me i've heard it enough so i like it for a short section and then i like when i was listening to this playlist i was like oh this does go on a bit and for me maybe it's a bit too like i don't know not embarrassing um <laughs> but you know like i don't know this feels like i don't know I, I, we've discussed my uh my uh love of uh sex noises and uh people talking about sex you don't and... like vocoded hugh cornwell being well, I'm shocked. But so yeah, so yeah, so I, I, I mean, I, I would, listen, I would listen to it, but it's not like in my top ten stranglers because I think it misses out on maybe a couple of hooks. Mm-hmm. The next song I picked is Sveria, Sweden, from the Black and White album. Mm-hmm. I picked this song because, well, first it's in Swedish, and I just thought it'd be a nice touch given that we've done a, a yep. Kent episode, uh, or we'll be doing a Kent episode depending on on when this comes out. I think this is pop post-punk at its best you've got speedy bass and keyboards it's three minutes everything's kind of packed in and um yeah i just think it's a it's a really a great representation of what the stranglers can do that's mainstream and yet not known about and i don't know if you went to listen to the english language version but there's some great lyrics there where it says sweden the only country where the clouds are interesting too much time to think not enough to do um so there we go yeah so when i listened to the a playlist I never heard this before, and then when I did research, I then found out the good news so it is a, a, a an English version too. So I have listened to the English version more. Dubai. Okay. So excellent. Sweden uh, is a club on the eastern on the eastern front, is it? Mm-hmm. And um, the, the video, like like if mad. Think, yeah, obviously if you think Swe- you think Sweden. No, think an operation theater <laughs> with Jet Black being operated, and then at one point his head's removed. And his body turns into an organ. Exactly. And where the and, hell did that come from? <laughs> and Hugh Cornwell doesn't lip sync along to his vocals. Like this, this seems like, you know, what some students would put together on on. What year was no this? Was this 80 or something? Or? This was 78. Okay. So I guess it's still early on. I mean, it's, mm. it's not like it took maybe to 82 to get some high budget videos, but. It's still pretty pathetic. Mm. But what, what did you think of the song? So yeah, so it has like, I love the the racing Dave organ sound and the crunching bass mm. and it's got that interesting sort of like false break and then, it, then, yes. a, then a cool uh, keyboard solo which is when he plays on his uh, detached body. And, um, but yeah, um, I, yeah, I, I, I had to listen to this, well, three times the Swedish version, <laughs> not knowing what's about, mm. and then three times on, on the English version. And, um, by the second time, I did start to yeah to enjoy the track and uh, but it's an interesting uh, single. It doesn't feel like mm. a single at all to me. Like you really got to listen to it a few times to, to get into it. I think. Oh, so that's interesting because for me, it's it's definitely the popular side of okay. Stranglers, but it just goes to show that even the popular side of Stranglers is not necessarily immediately gettable. I mean, even Golden Brown is a weird song in a mix of six eight and three four. So. Mm. There's always there's always something that there's always something that wrong foots you. I feel in almost every Strangler song. Um, I'm very intrigued to hear what you think about this one. It is "Peasant in the Big Shitty" from No More Heroes, their second album, which all music called faster, nastier, and better than uh, Rattlesnake Vegicus. I think this is probably my favorite Stranglers written song, and it was written by Dave Greenfield, possibly while tripping on acid. <laughs> Makes sense. I. Love the weird nine four time signature. It's incredibly spooky. The drums kind of lead you in, and they're they're very urgent. But then the keyboards come in, 
and then you have the spooky vocoder lyrics and you're like what what the hell is going on and then just as you're getting used to the weird time signature then the chorus and the bridge are in two four or four four something else i'm not quite sure exactly i think it's absolutely mad but somehow works uh yeah i don't know why i like this so much but i i do and i don't get sick of it what do you think fran (laughs) well i had never heard a song in my life and at first i thought it was through cornwall because i had no idea that he wasn't Mm. like i thought he sang all the songs i just thought that Mm. because peaches is sang so differently to like you know golden brown i just thought he had like a diverse voice what she does i think Mm. he does but yeah it's it's jj bunnell also sings as you you were talking about yeah so yeah so i didn't know until reading up this was david singing and yeah if this is their own uh monster mash it is a halloween track for me the way he sings it you know Um, but you know what i wrote that but for a different track uh, coming up later as well yeah yeah we'll come back to that and Yeah. yeah it's yeah again you have to listen to this track a few times to really make it a full effect i love the bit when he goes do you like it like that yeah do you like it like that just a peasant in the big shitty <laughs> i mean yeah the lyrics the day is sticky yellow the night was so untight the cows go moo 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 is everything all right baby digit at my face who's the man with a smile mom do you like it like that i'm just a peasant in the big shitty and it's just absolutely madness especially because i i would have thought with a title like Peasant in the Big Shitty, I thought it would be some big political song about either being poor or, I don't know, coming from the suburbs and not being, you know, a, a sophisticated city person. And it is Dave Greenfield tripping on acid. So more did, of that, please. Did they play this when you saw them? Unfortunately not. Okay. I checked the set list and I, I would have loved to. And I mean, we haven't mentioned it, but Dave Greenfield unfortunately passed away um, in 2020 from from COVID, mm-hmm. uh, which was which is very sad. And and Jet, Jet Black is still alive, but I think he's diminished, you know, and and he's still an original member of the Stranglers, but doesn't play live anymore. So JJ Burnell is now the the only kind of person that's going to be playing live, uh, which is which is quite sad. But I, I think Dave Greenfield's a genius. Over underrated. Sous évalué. And then moving on to a very different sounding track. An incredibly different sounding track. So this is La Folie from their album La Folie in 1982. La Folie means the madness in French. And it's a song sang in fluent French by, by J.J. Bunnell. And I think this was the song that changed my mind on the Stranglers. This is their Ultravox song. And which one? Uh, well, for me, this is their Vienna, uh, in a, in a way. And when when I realised that as well as doing Golden Brown and Peaches, they did this, I was like, bloody hell, I, I've got to get into this band. And yeah, as mentioned, it's from La Folie. The band says that this refers to the madness of love and conceptually each of the songs in the album was intended to explore a different kind of aspect of love. And it's the same album that Golden Brown is from. And this was a single, despite... Hugh Cornwell feeling that Tramp would have been a better choice. And as much as I prefer this to Tramp, I do agree with Hugh Cornwell. I think Tramp is much more kind of mainstream. And and this song was a single with a video, but only picked it at 47. Uh, But I think it's genius. It's so simple. You've got some dreamy synths, bass led with a guitar accompanying. And you've got JJ Burnell in sex god voice. Um, I have to say, like, I... 
you know, I know what he's saying and I know what the lyrics are, but I never knew what it was about. Did you look up what it was about, Fran? Is it about a cannibal or something or something? It weird? is about a murderer and a cannibal called Issei Sagawa, who mutilated, cannibalized, then raped this his classmate's uh, body uh, at the Sorbonne. He was arrested, but then released after two years of pretrial detention because he was found legally insane and deported to Japan, where he wasn't arrested. And is still alive, not in prison, and like wrote books and was invited to speak and wrote like restaurant reviews for magazines, which I think is absolutely insane. And again, for me, especially with modern eyes, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of sad now that I know what this is about because it just seems again like, oh, let's go and talk about some controversial stuff. Uh, let's go and talk about cannibal. Um, but thankfully, until yesterday, I didn't know this. And I still think it doesn't take away from the simple beauty of the song and how smoldering J.J. Burnell sounds. And yeah, it's just a, a very mysterious, beautiful song about madness. Fran? Um, yes, yeah, so I checked out The Tramp and that was definitely the the the, the track we needed to release. <laughs> but um, hey, I guess, you know, mm. after you've had a massive hit with Golden Brown, they could basically do what they wanted. So, you know. I think that was it, wasn't it? We've got a six guess- minute French song. <laughs> Tramp is good. I, I do like Tramp, but Tramp is not a million miles away from No More Heroes. So this is something quite different. Um, and even like filmed the proper video for it. It was a kind of brave. A weird video. <laughs> Another weird video. It's it's so strange. So they're in Paris and I think it's JJ Bernal meant to be going mad. But all he does to show he's mad is like rub his temples a bit and look into the distance. And it's quite homoerotic with Hugh. So there's part of the video is the two of them are walking down these deserted stairs at night, one on one side, one on the other. And they're just looking at each other very meaningfully. And I was like, what? But it's it's just such a beautiful song. Um, and I mean, given that you don't know French, does that impact your enjoyment? I, I, I would think that it wouldn't, that you don't know what he's singing about because he's singing so beautifully. So I think this, is, this was on the best of, and I had never given it much uh, time before until I was told to, unfortunately. Because obviously, mm-hmm. as an English person, we hate the French. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, again, I, I I know he has a French sounding name, but again, I thought that was who Cornwall because I'm, I'm an idiot. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a decent track. Um, it'd be interesting to know what um, if if they ever did want to record it in English as well. Obviously, they did the uh, the Swedish one in both languages. Mm. But um, yeah, I just don't think it would work. The no. yes, it is the madness. <laughs> it, that that wouldn't work. That wouldn't work. <laughs> You reckon that's the best album? I think La Folie yeah. is their best album. Okay. Yeah, I like every I like every track. I think it's definitely a move away from their punkier stuff, but still, that's still in the DNA. And there's another song coming up from the album that I picked as well. I think bridges that even better. I don't know if you've noticed this. I I've, I need to to bring it up. I've got a feeling that the Stranglers have the worst album art for any band in history. Especially for a band <laughs> of their success, the fuck have you seen? What have you seen the album covers? They're fucking terrible. Right? Do you know what? I haven't really analysed it, but now that you say, look it, at I Spotify. Think you're right. Look at them. Yeah. Look at look at one for for Norfolk Coast. Norfolk Coast. Look at that album. That looks like it's your dad's band who've just had a bit of money and made an album, not a band <laughs> he'd been going for twenty five years. Look at it. Right. I've looked up Stranglers Norfolk Coast, and it honestly looks like they have. Um, diversified into an Irish folk band and, <laughs> and have, have learned the Tory power pose that everyone got taught a few years ago. Yeah, that is madness. 
But yeah, um, like so it's, it's an album called like All Wall Structure or something. Yeah, it's then, that, but that's a statue. Yeah, that's, yeah, but, a, that's but, sorry, sculpture. But it's a, I mean, that's it's not a good image. Four guys no. standing by a big ear. It's not cool in any way. What are you thinking? <laughs> Who wants that on a t-shirt? Yeah, I, so I think an exception. I quite like the black and white album cover, where mm. it's it's the four. Of, it's quite simple. It's the four of them in black on on a white album cover, but they're all in different poses. So Jet Black is Jet Black and Dave Greenfield are posing a bit more normally, sort of hands in pockets. But Hugh Cornwell's got his sort of arms on his sides, head down, and JJ Burnell is is crouching. And I I just quite like the composition of that. Um, and yeah, it's much better than the four of them in Rattus Norvegicus, where it's just them standing in a house. <laughs> it, seriously, I've never known a band to have that bad artwork. No, I, I take your point. And I videos, it's like, yeah, maybe this is what happened to them. Maybe it's why they're not a bigger band, because their, their videos were, t- were crap and the, the records are terrible. Apart in the from shops. Golden Brown, like, have you seen the Golden yeah, Brown yeah. video? I, I yeah. think that's quite nicely I done. I think that's but, um, um, done by Godwin Cream, uh, who made those of amazing videos back in those days um oh, i didn't know that but yeah anyway sorry we've gone on a tangent we've gone on a tangent who knows what will be cut Let's but we are back. moving on <laughs> to the next walk on by which was a single with old codger and tank in 1978 but i think it was then also on on black and white so this is a cover version this is a good cover version Possibly my favorite cover of all time, top three at least, because it is a way to make your song your own. It's got all the Strangler's hallmarks of sneery hue, sort of almost changing the meaning of the song. You know, the, the original, it's very, walk on by, very soft. He's like, walk on by, you bitch, basically. Um, complex bass line, and then the piece de resistance, the keyboard solo. And it is almost doubling back on itself. Like it's so complex. Yeah, it doesn't drown out the bass, the guitar or the drums in the background who absolutely keep up with it. It goes on for fucking ages, but I I never get bored of it. And I only found out today that the reason they recorded this, so this is a song from before 78, Mm -hmm. because Hugh said that they would play in working men's clubs and people in working at men's clubs would complain that they didn't know any of the songs. So they had to learn some cover versions to put in between so the working men's clubs wouldn't kick off. And this was one of them. So they were doing it, I think, already in 75, 76. And yeah, for some reason decided to release it then. But I, I think it's absolutely genius. What do you think? Do you know what? I've heard this version more than the original, I think. Um... Oh, me too now, but with, with reason. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's a decent track. I literally probably haven't, I completely forgot um, in fact, he says, uh, I'm going for a stroll, and then the keyboard part hits. Yeah. <laughs> this is brilliant that like, they let it in the, uh, in the final edit. Yeah. But yeah, but again, I, I was about to say, you know, I also read about, yeah, it's, it's from 1975, and um, I think that they had to, like, uh, for the contract, they had to, like, fill a gap, so we just decided to oh, um, right. release it as a standalone single. But yeah, mm-hmm. what is interesting is that um, JJ always has a very similar bass sound, doesn't he? Because this bass sound is exactly the same as, as Peach's the same tone complete i think the same tone yeah mm. yeah i i would agree with that but i i don't mind it <laughs> i don't mind, I don't mind it I, I don't mind it because it, it might be the same tone but it's never it's never the same throughout mm. you know like i think probably peaches is one of the simpler ones because it is quite repetitive um apart from the uh, we have to stay here for the whole summer oh what a bummer then it changes for like a second but he 
it is a driving similar to what i was saying about ramones guitars it's a driving bass and when you see it live holy fuck like does it hit you in the face and um maybe it's a little bit dirtier and more open here because it kind of has to be to keep up with the keyboard uh but yeah just to, to finish off it really surprised me that they released this as a single and that it hit number 21 which I'm like, that I think is for a song with a fucking three minute keyboard solo in the late seventies as punk is happening. That's pretty good. But actually it even could have been higher because apparently the chart performance was impacted because the, an EP featuring the song had been given away with the first 75,000 copies of their album black and white. So I don't think it was counted as that. So yeah, it could have been even higher, but yeah, I, I really, I really think if you, if you like good covers and mad keyboard solos, this is the one for you. And next up we have. The next one is also weird. <laughs> So this is The Man They Love to Hate from, from Laffoley, 1982. I think this is very catchy, weird pop. You've got some minor key verses and you've got a bit of respite in the chorus and bridge, which is, yeah, stranglers all over where it just kind of takes you in directions that you're not expecting. And I I, I like those changes and I really like the bits when it's leading back into the verses where it's... It feels like a journey. And when you read the lyrics as well it, it also feels like a journey and I picked it as well because I think the keyboards here are quite different from Dave they're almost matching the guitars in the verses rather than it being its own thing and there's a nice arpeggio going on I don't know if it's a synth of other guitars but you know there's a lot going on you've got JJ Burnell singing in a sort of one tone sort of uh voice which is very different from Cornwall and actually I would have been intrigued to see Cornwell singing this because it probably would have been quite different but in a way it makes sense because it's quite a, it's about quite a misanthropic man so yeah I think it all pulls together quite well. Fran? Um, yeah I had not heard this before but mm-hmm. after listening to it a few times I can really hear an influence by Joy Division yes because on the way he sings yep. and the drum tone also sounds very rhythmic um, like Stephen Morris and the same with the Sims. I'd never made that connection, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, the more, listen to it again. I think I think Joy yeah. Vision, and it really does come across. So it's strange that they were being influenced by a band of the same era because mm. the previously, I, I, I don't know who they were influenced by. They seem to be doing their own kind of thing, really. I think yeah, it's it's kind of probably influenced by their current peers, mm. but also psychedelic rock. Because one thing that I actually didn't get around to watching Fran, but um, I have saved it for later. There's I think a one and a over one hour interview of Rick Wakeman interviewing Hugh Cornwell. Yeah, I think you're right with the, the singing and the drums are very Ian Curtis esque, but I guess the keyboards in what would have been New Order then are not the same keyboards as Dave Greenfield. No, I don't think they could play anyway like like uh, he could. Mm-hmm. So yeah, bring on on to the the next track. So the next track is Ice from The Raven in 1979. So this is their fourth studio album in three years and they just keep getting weirder. It starts with this very chaotic opening that seems like it's going to get resolved. But then I wrote, it's the Monster Mash or the Post Punk Era. Oh, <laughs> so this, this was my, my Monster Mash song, I thought, because it's a very disturbing, spiky, icy atmosphere indeed. It sounds like all the instruments playing a different song um and it's about when the samurai in japan committed ritual suicide 
uh, standard. But um, I found an interview with JJ where he, he talks about it musically, which is quite interesting. He says, the keyboard is really difficult as it's not sequenced, it's actually played. I remember Dave taking two or three days at Jets learning to play the sequence manually. Live, it's really fucking difficult to get right and takes the whole track out of sync. The drums and bass kept it together, but because the keyboard was used percussively on the track, if it's not right, then it's completely out. We had fun recording the breaks in it as we had bottles in the studio, which Jet smash and you can hear him grunting, which I hadn't realized, but then I listened back you absolutely can in in the breakdown before the verse so i think it is possibly the most experimental track on this playlist along with pleasant in the big city and it somehow works for me yeah um i put down um this is not as good as dutch's because it it kind of feels <laughs> like a precursor to it with the uh the synth bit. yeah but i then yeah. realized that um it sounds a lot i don't know if you've heard um pre their human league Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Sounds, yeah. It's got that, yes. that that sterile mechanical synth pop sound, yeah. and it does sound a lot like that. And it's so crazy how this is literally only a year after you know the No More Heroes. Uh, and yeah, it, yeah. To me, I'll, I'll put this is the band in motion. It's a band moving mm -hmm. forward. And, and I guess you know, but you said that La Folie was after this, so it makes sense why they went into even to more experimental stuff um, after this. So yeah, but I, I I enjoyed it. Um, but yeah. No, I'm glad. Glad, yeah, I, I thought this I think this could go either way because it's so strange and I think definitely the Raven you said it was the one that you listened to and you didn't quite get right mm. I did not get it the first time I listened to it at all it took it took quite a few listens and as, as actually did the next album that I fit so we've we've had ice and now we have ice queen from from oral sculpture and I wrote that this sounds like early simple mind slash human league as well we, we still have that going on but we're now on their eighth album still in 1984 so their eighth album in less than 10 years and it was the um, the first album on a new label so they were in united artists and now they're on epic records and i think because feline the album before was very acoustic -y guitar they wanted something quite different and i think they rejected a lot of uh i think i think they rejected the demos yes, from, yes, from this yeah and I found it interesting. Hugh Cornwall said that he saw this moment of the band as filling in the space that Roxy Music had left open, which I thought was quite interesting. And I enjoyed the review saying that the album is an out and out shock. The Stranglers have gone sensual, sounding sincere, serene and sensitive and philosophically introspective. It took them nine years, but they're at their peace now. And I, I think it's definitely, it's definitely a different side to them. So Ice Queen, I've put medieval Guinevere vibes. You know, you can... The way I, I, I'm not a very visual person, but I see Hugh Cornwell dancing with a maiden in some kind of medieval modern dance. He's got a very smooth delivery. It's not sneery uh, Hugh Cornwell. And then you have some extremely unexpected horns <laughs> that I think anyone else would do would sound terrible. Um, but they're used kind of sparingly and strangely well, despite it kind of being syncopated and stuff. And I think it's a really great representation of their post-punk evolution. And this, I think this song in the last, you have to keep reminding yourself, fuck, like this is the same band that did Golden Brown. Mm. Sounds totally different, uh, even though this song is only two years later. So yeah, what did you think? So I would say this is the worst song on the playlist for me. Oh, really? That's so interesting. Um, but in, So I should maybe listen to this album, because this album is their last four-star album. It's the last well-reviewed album. When you say four stars, is out it like... Out five. So, but as in, on what rating is that? Oh, like, a... like, well, that, that's off all music and other websites. It's the last album they got like a decent review for across the mm -hmm. board. Um, 
and I thought this song was a bad 80s. And yeah, when <laughs> when those sax stabs, which I thought at first was the keyboard, but it turns out is a horn section. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, it really shocked me. And that uh, keyboard riff I found really irritating, unfortunately. Oh, so I put not a pleasant experience of Thranglers. <laughs> <laughs> so the opposite of what I wrote, because there's a false ending, right? Yeah. So you must have hated that because you must have thought, oh, this song I don't like this ending. <laughs> then it continues a bit more. Uh, and I, yeah, I feel the opposite. I feel like this song leaves me wanting more, but but I, I do have to say it was not an immediate light for me. I thought this album was weird. On the, something I heard, I don't know if you heard this, that in the mid to late 80s, they had on the live show uh, a horn section. Yes. And they said the reason they did that was because they're crap live and they're boring and they wanted to really? give the audience something to look at. And when they got a new singer who was younger and energetic, they got rid of the horn section because they, they literally, would, and I've seen this on the, on YouTube, they are just four guys just standing there. They, they do little more than that, really. The thing is, I think they weren't like that at the beginning, mm. were they? Because they're, they're giving it all that at the beginning. But, well, yeah, how old were they? Maybe, well, Jack Black was in his 50s well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by this point, and they were just fired. I know, I didn't realise it was because of that. Yeah. Uh, how interesting. But, but for me, horns do not work with a punk band, but hey. I think, for me, it works because of the, is it the, the synth sounds. Mm. Uh, and yeah, for me it works, for you it doesn't So there we go, a bit more divisive maybe uh, And another song that doesn't work <laughs> Well, you know, I had to I had to give a song I had to put on a song here that wasn't with Hugh Cornwell So this is Golden Boy from their 12th album About Time in 1995 And Paul Roberts is the singer here And it's produced and engineered by Alan Winstan. Alan Wynn Stanley who'd worked on their first four albums and the reason I chose it is because it, it's a bit like the Ramones song that we were saying like but how how is this sounding so punk in the 80s well how is this sounding so punk in 1995 it it in a way I could I could see the argument that it's a bit of a step backwards but it's in 9-4 there's a gospel choir and there is a singer who is he, I, I think Paul Roberts sounds like a jazz singer or a crooner or something yeah, like that I've yeah singing over a rock song yeah yeah you as well right like so i i just thought again it's it's so original and actually is it about sid vicious it seems it seems like it is obviously i wanted to give you a representative playlist this wouldn't be one of my 10 favorite shangler songs if i was going to do that it would be maybe half of it from laffoli but i still think it's 1995 they've still got it and yet have not necessarily improved on it but mashed it up a little bit and I respect them for that. Yeah, I put down, I'm not a fan of his crooner vocals, um, <laughs> but I listened to a thing and apparently he just walked into the audition room and said, hi guys, I'm your new singer. And no. they hired him. And he had never been in a, in a band before. Incredible. That's bizarre. <laughs> See, I, I, saw, I saw an interview with him where he was talking about how difficult it was to fill Hugh Cornwell's shoes and how he said something like, oh, at one point I was trying to be Mick Jagger. And you can tell like he's kind of topless in some performances, mm. way, way more energetic. And I think it must be quite difficult to, to come in. So what was at this point, 12 years after this band had formed with 10 albums and keep the balance between delivering the kind of vocal that a band wants and yet bringing your own own thing to it. So respect for him. And he, he stuck it out with them for, for quite a while. I don't, I don't mind his crooner voice. Like it's not as original as Hugh Cornwell, but I think it works for this song. Although, did you see the video for this song? It's it's fucking no, no, weird. No, I haven't. It's like really weirdly filmed. 
sort of psychedelic angles there's people's human statues interspersed with like news items and Yasser Arafat and I'm like again what what's the point here like I I don't see the point but um I know it's a big flop it seems that they've got to for mid-90s and like you know let's keep going it doesn't sound like a band enjoying themselves to me I can understand why it wasn't as popular but I I still think I, I I think this this is the kind of song that if it was done by anyone else I would really not like it but because it's got all these touches like the gospel choir and the weird time signature, it it for me it works. But I I, I do get that um that doesn't work for you. But I hope that the last song Well yes, uh, you have, you have uh, saved the best to last. Ah uh, so I have picked Always the Sun, which is both from Dreamtime 1986, the ninth album, and 10 in 1990, they released it as a as a different version. I this song almost always makes me cry when I listen to it and um I went to watch the video this morning, which I'd seen before. And then I went to read the YouTube comments about how, oh, this was played at my granddad's funeral. Oh, this was played at my son's funeral. And I fully burst into tears once again. Um, I, I don't know what it is because it is a bit sentimental. And normally I'm a little bit allergic to that. But the, I think it's the, the sincere synths. And you've got this sort of acoustic guitar and country guitar. It, it just... It elevates this beyond your average Strangler song. And the lyrics are so easily accessible. It's obviously about kind of, even when you're going through bad times in your life, there's always the sun. So it, yeah, it hits me like a, a hammer every time. And a nice one too, not like the hammer that Hugh Cornwall uses to smash up the sundial in the video. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and it sounds like you you agree that I've saved the best to last, right? It's bizarre, this song, because- It shouldn't who- work. Uh, but also, who Cornwall's voice is never like this again, is it? Because it, it, his things that it, it, it melts, it's, it flows beautifully. The harmonies, like the, the high harmonies, is that JJ singing that? Uh, I think so, uh, and Dave as well. Because his um, voice is usually quite low. I'm like, is that, so I never, I never knew that was actually him. And I can't find a, a decent verse in live, unfortunately. But the guitar playing at the end is beautiful. It's sort of like it, it dances with, with the harmonies, and, and it, it just gets better and better. And as soon as, as that bridge comes in, and the drums go up to the top, oh my heart! Oh yes, I can listen to the song again and again and again. And I was shocked when I bought that best of. I that it was them because I knew the song, but I had never connected that to being the Stranglers. But this, this is my point. This is my point that people, people don't know. I don't want to say the real Stranglers because this is only one side. People don't know all the sides of the Stranglers. Again, my boyfriend, sorry, Steve, bringing you in here again. I told him the other band were doing is Stranglers. And he was like, who? And I put on Golden Brown for a second. And he was like, oh, all right, this band. <laughs> and it just like, it's, this is so beautiful. And it didn't do as well as they thought they would. So Hugh tells its whole story uh, about how they they thought it was going to do really well. He They were convinced it was going to be um, another Golden Brown. And then when they went to look at the figures, they were like, what? It has another, I, I, don't, I don't know why. Do you know why? I mean, I guess it's mid-80s. Mid There's, you know. It, it could the, literally be down to what songs came out that week. Like it could have mm-hmm. been against three big songs. And it, because, yeah, I was shocked. And I heard that they re-recorded it like four times because they knew this was going to be big. We had to get it right. Um, but mm-hmm. but we did say, though, but it, I think it's quite big in Europe, just not in the UK. Yes. So, but I mean, 15 in France, 16 in Ireland. And it says on Wikipedia, it says that it nearly broke the Stranglers in the US due to radio play, uh, yeah. which it surprises me that they're not they're not broken in, in the, the US, although I'm sure they're pretty sneery about the US. It wouldn't surprise me if they, you know, were Manic Street Preachers-esque as discussed <laughs> on Song by Song podcast. Who knew 45 years later they'd be still doing it? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like um, this song is definitely my my early favorite, and I'm pleased to see that song has already had 232,000 plays, and it and the song dedicated to Dave called "And If You Should See Dave" has already had 328,000. And they they have this video with Stuart Pearce, who's like a a long term fan of theirs. So I, I do have a feeling like maybe because as well of, of Dave passing away and stuff, like this album is going to get a higher profile than any of their albums recently. But um, I I. I've really enjoyed going through their back catalogue and I, there's always something like there's always one or two songs on every album that are interesting. And even on albums that I do know, like the Raven, like oral sculpture, I still, I still haven't got it. You know, I still haven't listened to it enough times to, to get it. And that's, that's the joy of it. And I'm not, I, I really don't want to rush with them. I, I, I really am enjoying it. And I'm sure that if, if I do this again in five years time, I'm going to have a totally new playlist of songs um, that I like. Yeah. I think they're a band too. I think, I think I read that they had a, a hit single every year from 1977 to 1990, which is kind mm-hmm. of, you know, high praise to that band. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would say that, yeah, I guess, I guess they are underrated too because, you know, in UK especially, they are maybe a two or three song band, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and if I didn't buy the best of, you know, I wouldn't have discovered um, I like Skin Deep, love that love track, mm-hmm. and Duchess and, you know, um, what, Night Six Tears, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, to me, they are underrated. So, guys, listen to The Stranglers. I'm delighted to hear that because, yeah, even the two or three songs that they're known for, all sound completely different. If you go, if you say that they are Peaches, No More Heroes, Always the Sun, Golden Brown, four completely mm-hmm. different. Okay, No More Heroes and Peaches, you know, same era, but still, still quite different. And you know, how many, how many people were singing about Leon Trotsky? But they are absolutely a band worth sitting down and listening to the albums too. And while you know, undeniably, they have a lot of listeners and quite a loyal fan base from what I see. I I think they're underrated just because for what they're known for and what they're not known for. So I'm delighted that you agree. Good. What a harmonious episode. <laughs> Goodbye, guys. Thanks for listening. You've made it to the end. And that means you've made it to my chat about wanting to get, receive some ratings and have some subscribers. Yes, we know that all podcasters do this, but uh, Spotify has now allowed ratings on podcasts. And we still only have, I think, three ratings on our podcasts. So if you're feeling generous and patient, we would really appreciate you doing that and subscribing so we get higher numbers in it. And if you disagree with this approach or my tone, you can get in touch. We are at OU Music Pod on Twitter, at Over Underrated Music Pod on Instagram, or you can email us at Over Underrated Music Pod at gmail.com. Have a marvellous day. Merry holidays and Christmas where you are and see you soon. Baby, baby.